You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. While you were skipping stones, building forts and flying kites, I was missing school and on my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello, I'm Mark Tuminelli, and welcome back to the Little Me Podcast. It's our 30th episode, and I have a really fun guest to celebrate with. My guest today made her Broadway debut at the age of 11, opposite Angela Lansbury in Gypsy. She went on to appear in Evita, Beauty and the Beast, Merrily We Roll Along, Smile, and Jerome Robbins Broadway. For 20 years, she played the role of June and also covered Roxy Hart, Velma Kelly, and Mama Morton in the Broadway mega-hit revival of Chicago. Please welcome Broadway legend Donna Marie Asbury. <laughs> Hi! Oh Guinness God, Book I of World Records, Donna Marie Asbury, for Is- uh, playing the same role for longer than any person has ever in Broadway <laughs> history. You know, what's funny is when uh, when I was about to leave Chicago, first of all, hello, and thank you for having me. Um, my God, your 30th episode, just like my age. No, just kidding. Yes. Um, <laughs> when I was about to leave Chicago, everybody was saying, you have to like, you know, be in the Guinness Book of World Records. And I knew that George Leandrews from Phantom of the Opera Phantom, yeah. was in it. Yes. So, and he did like something like, I don't know, 23 or 26 years. So I knew I wasn't going to pass him up. Um, I didn't know if Marlena Danielle from Cats, who did the entire run for 18 years. So she's like a superstar. Um, I don't think she ever applied to be in the Guinness Book of World Records. So when I applied, I applied to be the longest dancer in a Broadway show because I thought, well, you know, I have a shot at that. And then, you know, there's so much back and forth, like literally it took a year and I had to give so much information, practically had to give blood. And, uh, during the correspondence, uh, they asked, well, did your character have a name? And I said, yes, uh, I played June. And that's when they came up with, you know, the longest career playing the same character uh, in a Broadway show. So I was so shocked that it wasn't like the longest dancer, you know, because there have been people in Lion King longer than me, but I think it's because, you know, I wasn't, you know, townsperson from the left that, uh, that my character actually had a name, yes. which is why I have that, that title. So, um, it's lovely. It was, it was really fun. It was icing on the cake. And, uh, I got notified actually the year to the day that I had left Chicago. So you left really Chicago crazy. a year ago, uh, two years ago, this coming March. So we I, I actually uh, left 2019. June. Oh, okay. Yeah. I left June 3rd, 2019. Well, good timing. <laughs> you picked the right you picked the right time to leave before things got oh. crazy. Mark, everybody said that. Everybody was like, "Did you know?" And I was like, "No, oh, of course I didn't know." <laughs> but yes, as I'm so grateful that everything timed out the way it did. It was an amazing run and uh yeah, it was it was one of the best experiences of my life. I watched her curtain call last night, the last curtain call oh, where oh. Mary and Fran came out and they gave you flowers and you gave a speech and it was just so moving to watch that. I know. And I was like, that lady is very cool. She's for me. Um, if ever, everyone stop and watch it. Um, but it, it's just a really wonderful, incredible thing that you, you've gotten to do. And we're going to talk more about Chicago okay. at the end, yeah. but let's go back to the beginning. <sighs> Ah, so you're 11 years old and you make your Broadway debut in Gypsy with Angela Lansbury. No big deal. How did that, how did that happen? You know, it was very funny because 
nobody in my family was in show business. And uh, my dad had worked for the Ford Motor Company in Mawa, New Jersey. And actually, before I got Gypsy, uh, we used to go down to Atlantic City every year. And it was a place called the Steel Pier. And there was a show called Tony Grant's Stars of Tomorrow. And every summer, you know, you didn't get paid. I, I would go down and do a song and dance routine. It's actually where I first met Andrea McArdle because she was from Philadelphia. Um, and to this day, every time I see Andrea, I used to do a song and dance routine. I did a lot of songs, but the one that everybody, you know, remembers is um, these boots are made for walking. And I would, I would do the song and I'd do a little dance and I had these white knee high boots that were like really fierce. And Andrea to this day, like I saw her about three years ago at a Broadway Karis thing and she went, I want those boots. <laughs> Oh and she God. still remembers the white boots. Well, your so anyway, bio, your bio in the playbill, I mean, in the the souvenir <laughs> program for the tour of Gypsy. What does it say? It says, um, which I you came across today, um, <laughs> that you've done lots of TV variety shows. Um, and then it says that your song and jazz disco tech routine is really what put you on the map in this. <laughs> I wanna see that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have actually a little film. It's actually a silent film. That's how old I am. Like there's no, there's no audio to it, but I got some moves and I showed my daughter and she was like, Oh my God, you were adorable. Okay, so how did audition? So you were doing these Atlantic city shows and obviously you had it factor. Um, well, I'm not sure about that, but my dad worked with somebody that knew a, a talent manager in New York. And he said, you should really bring Donna in to see her. Her name was Loretta Marshall. And uh, I went and I auditioned for Loretta and she took me on. And Gypsy was the first show that I auditioned for. And I got it, which was unbelievable, you know, and um, I was the balloon girl and I understudied baby June and baby Louise. And then when the show went on tour, I got to do baby Louise. Um, but it was, and I've said this so many times, if that experience wasn't as amazing as it was, I'm not sure I would have kept doing this, but it was so much fun. I remember I got my first paycheck and I literally said to my mother, wow, you get paid for this because <laughs> Uh, it was, you know, there were seven kids in the show. We all got along. Um, I didn't really know what a stage mother was, but I wasn't aware that anybody was a stage mother, except after doing Gypsy, then I realized what a stage mother was. But like the parents got along, you know, I still have lifelong friends from that show. You know, Richard Sabeligo, uh played Pasty and he always... We correspond and he's like, how's my baby sister? And I'm like, I'm good, bro. How are you? You know, and, and Bonnie Langford, who was our baby June, you know, we've been dear friends. And it's really kind of amazing because she's sort of like the oldest friend that I have. And to have a friendship now as an adult, you know, uh, to, to last that many years. And she played Roxy Hart in London and then came okay. over to Broadway. And for one week, I got to be her Velma Kelly. So it was like baby June and baby Louise together God, again. That's oh, yeah. It was fantastic. So, um, but that show, you know, we had a six-month pre-Broadway tour. Um, before Winter we, Garden we, Theater. The Winter Garden Theater, which was unbelievable. I'll never forget. I still remember to this day. And there's not a lot I remember, except I do remember the choreography. Like, I could do, like, let me entertain you. Um but I remember driving up on the bus because we took a bus from, I don't know where we were. It was either Boston or Philadelphia. It was like the last stop before Broadway and, and driving in the bus and seeing that huge marquee of Angela, you know, Angela Lansbury and Gypsy and just being, I mean, this, it was just amazing. It was, I mean, we had a, we had a private tutor because like I said, we were six months pre-Broadway tour. I remember when I went back to school, I was like a half a year ahead of the kids. I didn't know what to do with myself. People didn't know what to do with me because they were like, what? You're doing what? And Oh, it was, it was crazy, but it was unbelievable. I was so lucky. I'm so Tell lucky. me about working with Angela Lansbury. What do you remember? What, what sticks out for you? Well, uh, I, I think what I remember is her work ethic, and I, and I often give her credit for my work ethic because I remember watching this woman every night 
giving 110%. I don't think she ever missed a performance. Maybe she missed one. I think Mary Louise Wilson went on for her, who played Tessie Tura. Um, she was so generous. I remember we played Los Angeles. We played the Schubert Theater. And she treated all seven kids to Disneyland. We all got to go to Disneyland. Um, did she go you with know, you? Played, she did not. Okay. Uh, but every, but every time we, you know, I gave her like opening night presents and I have so many like handwritten cards from Angela Lansbury just saying, darling, thank you for the pen or thank you for this. And, like she was just, you know, there were like 30 something people in the cast and this woman wrote a thank you card to everybody every single time. And she was just lovely. And I loved watching her. And I remember there was, you know, we would have school during the show and we'd be in the dressing room and sometimes the tutor would turn the the sound off, the intercom off so we could concentrate. But I remember the kids, we would, we would try, we'd have these competitions like who could cry first during the scene where Herbie leaves Rose? Like, Herbie, why does everybody go? You know, and we would, do, we would sit there and try and cry and have these stupid competitions. Um, but these are the like things you'd act out the scenes in the oh, yeah. dressing room. Totally. I love it. <laughs> We couldn't talk, but we like whoever had teared up first, you know, we won. And I'm not even sure what you won, but like this is, you know, kids what, being we, crazy. what we did to entertain ourselves. Oh, my God. How cool to be part of that historic revival and to work uh, with someone, you know, a real, real Broadway star. Like, they just don't exist like that ever again since then. No, she's the real deal. And and I remember I, uh, you know, Gypsy closed and years later, I think I was 16 when Sweeney Todd was on Broadway and left her a note backstage and we got to go backstage and it was as if she hadn't seen me in four days, you know, and then, uh, you know, fast forward to Jerome Robbins Broadway when it's nominated for the Tony Awards. And I think Angela was either a presenter or a co-host. She and introduced again, the number, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I got to see her backstage and hugged. And I mean, she's just, yeah, she's golden. I just That's love so her. Cool. I adore her. I would, I would jump into a river for her. And how hard was it for your family to allow you to tour, to uproot their lives and let you do the Broadway stint, but then go on the road after? Yeah. Um, you know, my mom came with me on the pre-Broadway tour and also the tour after. So my, my dad watched my sister who was five years older at the time. Um, it was a lot and they sacrificed a lot, but, but, you know, she got an amazing experience too. She got to see the world and, you know, meet fantastic people and, uh, and just be there to make sure, you know, I, I stayed humble <laughs> and like a normal kid, you know, because in LA, yeah. <laughs> right. In LA, we had the opening and Groucho Marx was there and Natalie Wood came to see us and Robert Wagner and Rona Barrett and Rex Reed and all of these people and oh my god Leslie and Warren Sally I mean I the list went on you know we were like the show to see and all these people would come backstage and you know I knew um Sally Field from the Flying Nun so I was so <laughs> excited to see her I think there's something that's really special that happens with a parent and their performing kid when they go on the road together they have a bonding yeah. that they never parents just don't get that normally no. with their child to spend a year going from city to city and having the shared experience that I'm sure really bonds a mother and a daughter or a father and a, oh, you know, whatever. My, my, she was my best friend forever. Seriously. Oh, I mean, so yeah. Special. Tell me about Merrily was your next Broadway show after uh, Gypsy and the Four. Uh, how did Merrily enter your life? Um, you know, I heard about the audition. I don't know whether you saw the best worst thing that ever could have happened by Lonnie. I sure Price. did. I have a I have a question about it coming up. <laughs> All right, and I have to say, you know, watching that, I was a little envious that I was not a part of those those group auditions. Um, I don't know how I missed out on that. Uh, I do remember that when I did get the audition. I walked into Joanna Merlin's office. Well, first of all, I got the audition because they couldn't cast three roles. Terry Turner, my role, I believe it was Gussie and possibly Mary. Um, so when I walked into to Joanna Merlin's office, the first thing she said to me was, oh, you're so much prettier than your picture. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> you're my new picture. Thank you, I think. <laughs> no, seriously. I'm like, oh, okay, I need, I need new pictures now. Um, and there were callbacks. Uh, I remember Hal being so sweet. And my part 
was literally based on Debbie Reynolds because uh, the whole premise was she was a Hollywood actress that couldn't get a job, couldn't get a movie, and then came to Broadway and said this is where she's always wanted to be. Um, and, you know, through the previews, my part kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, and I knew, I didn't know that Marilee was going to fail, but I knew that the book was problematic because I, I just never felt comfortable with some of the dialogue I was saying. Like I had to be a drunk and, and at a party and all this stuff. But, you know, I was so grateful that I, I held on to, um, so we bought this little condominium that's me. And I remember once Stephen took it away from me in previews and gave it to a guy because he thought it should be sung by a male. And I was like, well, there you go. I'm done. You know, there's nothing left. And so that I think he took it away from me for one day and, and gave it back to me the next performance and went, no, no, it's, you need it. You stay. It, it sounds better with you. So, um, yeah, I mean, that and was. How old were you for Marilee? I was 19. I was oh 18 and I turned 19. I turned, uh, my birthday is October 30th. So we had started, I think, rehearsals and previews sometime like in August. So I turned 19 in Marilee. Awesome. And did you, when you guys were starting previews, were you like, this isn't working? Could you feel that it was not gelling? I think some people did. I think I, I've always been sort of like a half full kind of girl, very, very positive. And um, I, I remember when the costumes were taken away and the wigs, I think that was the first time I thought, oh, I wonder if this is going to be okay. Um, but, you know, we had Hal and we had Steven and Paul Gemignani, that gem of a musical director who's still a dear friend who actually gave me away for my wedding. Um, yeah. And so I was never really, I, I didn't think that it was going to fail. I just thought, well, this might be wrong because, you know, we age, the story goes backwards. You're asking a lot of, of the audience um, so I think that was my first indication of like, oh, this might not be okay, but I never thought it would fail on the scale that it did. And, and Mark, I mean, I still remember like our first preview and the, the curtain going up for the second act and half of the audience was gone. I mean, the balcony, we were like, what? Bye. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. You know, they were confused, Donna Marie. I, yes, I was confused too. Um, so, and then when they fired Jim Weisenbach and Jim Walton took over, and not that there was anything against Jim Weisenbach, it's just that, you know, it, it started to make sense. There were so many rewrites and so many songs and so many transitions. And I mean, it was really trial by fire. Uh, but I will say that we were in amazing hands, you know, how... I think the only time I ever saw Hal lose his temper was when the set didn't work. It was never against us. It was it was never against anything. You know, I don't even think he yelled at Paul or Stephen. Um, and Stephen was a gem. You know, he was just furious, hard at work. And George Firth was rewriting. It was just really, you know, it was and interesting. Teenager, essentially having that process, did you feel a lot of pressure or did it feel fun? Wait, tell me, do you remember sort of where your mind was? I think a game? little bit of both. I think a little yeah. bit of both. You know, we were, you know, as you saw in the movie, that the, it was it was delayed almost a year because Stephen had to, to finish the score. But before that, like we would have these merrily picnics in the park. And and so we were we were very much a family. And then Ron Field, who was our our first choreographer, um, we had dance classes too. Uh, I was one of the lucky ones that could dance. So um, he was nice to me. Um, but um, so we had, the cast had established this relationship before we had even gone into rehearsal. So it was very much like we're a family. We're going to get through this. You know, the age, the age range was 16 to 26, I believe. I was right there sort of in the middle. So I think the older kids had more of a feeling that we were really in trouble. And then, you know, like Daisy Prince and Abby Pogerbin, they, they were like our 16-year-olds. So I was very close to them, almost like an older sister. And I just didn't believe that this could fail. Like when we were doing rehearsals, 
we all were like taking bets on, well, what number are we going to do on the Tony Awards? You know, yeah, <laughs> it was just never in our our thought process that this is not going to be a hit. First of all, because the the score was amazing, you know, and still is, and it's to that reason why Merrily just won't die. You know, have you seen the show since in any other incarnation? Yes, I saw the encore's performance, and yeah. then we saw the fiasco uh, production, which I thought was the closest it came to making sense. Did yeah, you see that? I, I agree. I saw both of them. And I love that fiasco one. I know that no, not many other people did. But no, I thought I the design it. was gorgeous, and I got it, and it was so clear. Um, yeah, I think that that was pretty fantastic as well. But I'm glad that you've had a revisit. When, you, uh, when they announced closing, and then you guys made the cast album after you closed, right? The next day. That must have been a very surreal experience, kind of well, having yeah. that as the closing piece of the puzzle. What do that you remember about making the recording? Yeah. I mean, you know, we started very early in the morning and, and ended very late at night. And I remember, um, you know, being exhausted, but also, again, going through this as a family. And um, I think our time was the hardest to get through. We that took the most because we cried a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And still like I cry hearing that song. Like it's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous what that brings up in me. And also it's just such a beautiful song, but we had a lot of fun and Paul was terrific again. And, and Tom Shepard was there and Steven. And, you know, I think everybody knew that this was going to be the only thing that we had and we really wanted to get it right. And, you know, it was very emotional and, I'm not sure I was in the best voice that day, but I worked my butt off just to to give them what they wanted. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was our closure. Well, it's, it's a great album and it lives on. And so many people know the show because of that. And that is, you know, yeah. still, I think, the go-to album of Merrily. I don't think any of the other ones have come close to that sort of passion about what you can hear. And it's, uh, it's so incredible to be part of it original Sondheim musical. Like how many people get to say oh. that? It's a really special thing. And you now, know what? I think that yeah. was, I'm sorry. I think that's no where problem. our youth really paid off was the album yeah. because we had, it was so raw and such, so much heart, you know, you can't make that up. You can't fake that. So I, I think that's why people connected with it. So is that where Hal really got to know you and began your long association with Evita? Well, you know, Hal being the gem that he was, you know, I think he felt very, very responsible when the show didn't work. I think he felt like he let us down. And he had two productions that were about to start, or two tours, two national tours. One was Sweeney Todd and one was Evita. And uh, because I looked the way I did and I was a high belter, um, he gave me the opportunity to audition for the tour. And a bunch of people auditioned for Sweeney. And actually, Mana Allen and I got the tour of Evita. And so we went from Merrily to, to the tour. But I remember, you know, I'm a Jersey girl. I'm a proud Jersey girl. And uh, it was the <laughs> 80s, and I, I wore shoulder pads. And I remember going to the Broadway theater where Evita was playing. And all of these women were there, you know, and their hair was severely pulled back. And uh, I pretty much had the same hairdo, maybe a little less hair than I did then, um, you know, in my... my <laughs> my pants down to the ankle and I go on the stage and I'm like, please, if I don't get this, I still I'm, I'm standing on the stage of Avita because I saw it and, and was like yeah. blown away. I saw Darren Alte do it. And uh, I don't, I think it was Jimmy Cravello or Anthony Cravello. I'm not sure. Um, but I just thought it was incredible. So, you know, I, I sang rainbow high and I sang don't cry for me. And I remember Hal and, and Paul Geminiani came down to the foot of the stage and, you know, Hal had his glasses on his forehead and turns to Paul and said, can she do it? And Paul said, my God, of course she can do it. So, you know, there I was. And then I got the tour of Evita, 19. That was my college. Like I'd never gone to college. So I'm touring yeah. with this show. And again, Hal, I have no idea if it was because he wanted to give me a shot, but he had put our, our matinee Ava for four weeks. He sent her to Broadway to be the matinee Ava. So then I got to be our matinee, Ava, for four weeks. 
and uh, had the time of my life. And, you know, thank God for youth because I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Like, like what a wild thing to do at 19, just the amount I, of material and what comes oh. next and take off this glove and put on this coat. It's just like, it's just, a, and, and then belt so high that, you know, you want to cry. It's just you know it's really wild. Um, I, I watched you last though. night. Oh, I watched you, you do it. I watched you do it last night, the 94 tour. And I was like, oh, this High? woman. Yeah, it was so exciting. You are Thank very you. good. <laughs> Thank you. And I can't imagine I, what that was like at 19, you know? Well, you know, it, not as good as I was at 30. I can tell you that because at 19, like I love playing young Ava because she's 15. I'm like, oh, I can do this. <laughs> no it. problem. And then, yeah. and then dying of 33, I'm like, oh, Lord, this is hard. Oh, um, so I'm really happy that I got to do it again when I was like in my 30s. It made a lot more sense. And I, I was very proud of that. Did you leave the tour to do Smile on Broadway? Is that what happened next? No, the tour closed. Um, when, and In fact, the tour closed once. And then when we reconvened, they didn't hire the other matinee Ava. They, they made me matinee Ava. So it was me and Florence Lacey. Um, and I know, and uh, I think there may have been um, an Evita at Paper Mill Playhouse where it was Lonnie Ackerman and myself. And then I got the um, audition for Smile, and I had been such a Marvin Hamlish fan because I like I wanted to do their playing our song so badly. Like maybe there'll be a revival, you know, and I can do it. Um, and I loved like the theme from Ice Castles, and of course the way we were. And, so again, you know, uh, I didn't, I knew Howard Ashman from Little Shop, but didn't really know much of it. And there were a bunch of auditions. And again, Mona Allen from Merrily and Evita, we did Smile together. It was sort of like, oh, well, we're <laughs> wow. never going to do a show apart, you know? Okay. Um, and it was, we had done the workshop. So I auditioned and I got it. And there was a workshop of Smile. And uh, we did the workshop and uh, the Schubert's. I think pulled their money after the workshop. And I remember um, Marvin being very, very hurt by that because, you know, of a chorus line. And the chorus line was at the Schubert yeah. Theater for the very longest time. So instead of giving up, Marvin had, um, he was going around the country doing these symphony concerts. And um, he asked, he hired like five of the girls, and I was one of them. And we would tour with Marvin and uh, Jody Benson, who was playing the role uh, that sang Disneyland, was actually doing a tour of Once Upon a Mattress with her husband in India during this time. Okay. So Does that sound normal? Asked, oh, I know. Seriously. So he asked me to sing Disneyland uh, with these symphony concerts, which was amazing. And because it's a fantastic song. And I did understudy yeah. Doria. And I think Maria, the um, the chef, um, Maria Gonzalez. Yes, yes Maria Gonzalez, who cooks, never went on her, for either her talent, role. By the way, in case you're listening at home, and as you should be, her Maria Gonzalez's talent in the beauty pageant is making guacamole, and that <laughs> is so offensive. But you know, at the time, probably very funny. Um, exactly. Anyway. Continue telling me more about Smile because I'm so obsessed with that demo. I used to have the cassette oh. of the demo and it's, you know, it's a great yeah. score. And again, a book that doesn't quite work and a score that's perfect. So you had a couple of those I... back to back. Yes. And the demo was the only thing that got recorded. Like we never made a recording, which again, I think was devastating to Marvin with his, you know, he's Marvin Hamlish for God's sake. If you can't get, you know, your album recorded, then... Who can? Who so, can? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he ended up, we got extra, we got the booking and we got the money. And uh, we went to Baltimore for our out of town tryout. And we got pretty good reviews, actually. And I, I think what the problem was, was they didn't know whether to make fun of pageants or to glorify them. And that was another thing where we had not the whole set of costumes, but we had a bunch of costumes that Howard thought made us look too old. And I thought, and I wanted to say to him, my God, have you seen like Miss Teen USA? They all look like they're 30 years old. Like, please don't take this away from us. And they <laughs> did again. Um, so, you know, I, I personally think it was a better show in Baltimore than when we got to Broadway. 
And, you know, there were rumors. I never saw it that Marvin and, and Howard weren't getting along. Blah, blah, blah. You know, after <laughs> Merrily, I was like, I could smoke a cigarette if I smoked and was like, oh, please. <laughs> I've seen show, it all. This is, this yeah. is nothing compared to Merrily. <laughs> Like, give me three new songs and then I'll tell you what it's like. So but um, once you got to the London, you guys were doing previews. Yeah. Did you did you start to feel it like falling apart? No, again, no. I was very optimistic and I thought, no, this there's no way this is gonna be fantastic. This is we're gonna run. And then uh yeah, we got terrible reviews. And I remember Marvin pulled me out because he was gonna be able to be on the uh, Joan Rivers, the late show. And they needed Jody to stay in the show because there were Tony voters and this and that. So Marvin pulled me out of the show and I got to do the Joan Rivers show and sing Disneyland. And, oh, it was, it was a whirlwind. And then we closed. And then, there, you know, that was it. And then Marvin, this is, you know, again, I'm so incredibly lucky. And people are so loyal that I've worked with. He felt horrible. And for probably like a year and a half until I got Jerome Robbins, I toured with Marvin as his vocalist and sang Disneyland, you know, oh. like once, twice a month. He, I played Carnegie Hall with him. I mean, it was literally, Mark, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm so, I'm very lucky. And I, I know mean, talent had... has something to do with it, but still. Yeah, but people have to like you. Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> um, yes. I can't wait to jump into Jerome Robbins Broadway and Chicago. We're going to take a little break and we'll be back with Don Marie Asbury. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, I'm here with Donna Marie Asbury, and we are about to jump into Jerome Robbins Broadway, the show that changed my life. It was my first real Broadway show, and I randomly was at opening night of that as a kid. I was, uh, my dad got invited, and we got to go as a family, and uh, I, I don't know how you could sit in the audience and see that show and not have your life be changed, because it was the most magical show and experience ever. So I can't wait to hear about Jerome Robbins Broadway doing that show, how it came to you, rehearsing it. I just, it, it blows my mind. So tell me about Jerome Robbins Broadway. <laughs> okay. Um, I was, you know, I was a dancer, but I was brought in to cover Debbie Shapiro. And uh, so I, I got to sing um, music that makes me dance for my audition, again, with Paul Gemignani sitting there and Scott Frankel, <laughs> playing piano. Um, so I, I auditioned for them first and you know, it's people think that auditioning for people that, you know, should be easier. And it's not because, you know, you don't want to fall flat on your face. It's like, you don't want this person to say, yeah, I want to bring Donna Marie in. And then, you know, I, I come in and I'm horrible. So there's pressure there and, uh, that went really well. And then I had to, I had a moving audition for, for, for Jerry and he was so cute. And I just thought, wow, everything I've heard about this man's gotta be false. He's adorable. He's like this little Wait. gnome, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so we get hired and then we, there, I think it's a cast of like 63. I could be wrong, maybe one or two off, but, um, but we have a six-month rehearsal period. It was it was never done before in the history of Broadway. Six months, and um, you know, various things would go in and various things would go out, and it was very funny to watch Jerry like take on moods of the pieces that he was doing because, like, you know, he he loved doing like Forum because I think that was a really good experience, but you know. We got to West Side Story and he was a little more serious and and Fiddler on the Roof. And, you know, uh, when we did High Button Shoes, he was practically peeing in his pants. And, you know, we would have these people come in like Claudette Colbert and uh, my God, Mikhail Baryshnikov would come in and watch rehearsals because it was at 890 Broadway where, yeah. where uh, Mikhail was, you know, rehearsing the ballet or something. Um, of course, Arthur Lawrence came, you know, with every different piece different directors and Leonard Bernstein was there and uh, Steven was there. You know, uh, when you think about it, I got to work with Steven Sondheim three times with Gypsy, Jerome Robbins, and then Merrily. I mean, it was, 
It was crazy. Um, yeah. So now, if you're if those of you at home, Drone Bombers Broadway was an enormous review, but everything was fully, it wasn't like Fosse or that last, uh, how Prince review, it, everything was fully realized as if you were going to see, oh my, can I not say that? Um, if you no. were seeing the show, like the whole forum set came out, the whole, you know, West Side Story, it was just like full blown 9,000 people, 6 million costumes. It just, Peter Pan flew. It was just like the wildest thing. I, I remember it like I saw it yesterday. Mark, that show would have had to have run probably like 20 years for them to pay off all of the rights that they had to, oh you know, God. it was, it was insane. It was, it was crazy. And, uh, I was so proud of it and, and loved every single moment of it. Um, you know, Jason Alexander was, was my dance partner and now, you know, and merrily roll along. So to have him be like sort of our leader and it's where I first met Charlotte, my God, I remember watching Charlotte D'Amboise dance America and, and, and thinking, you know, oh, I, I've never seen anyone dance like this. You know, she would do the end and literally jump and hit the back of her head, you know, with her back foot. I mean, it was like, she's Gumby. It, it was ridiculous. <laughs> and Faith Prince and Debbie and, you know, it was a cast of characters and, and it was wonderful. And and again, you know, there were times when when Jerry got frustrated. Thank God I was a I was a mover and not a dancer, so I never caught his wrath, but we watched it a lot. And, um, you know, he's a genius. Would he, and Would he pinpoint people to be horrible to oh, or just in general? Oh, yeah. No, he'd pinpoint somebody. But we also realized that he had low blood sugar, so there was always a candy bar nearby. And, and I think, you know, he had like three assistants, and I think they were really, really in tune, like, oh, okay, you know, because – he was an older man and we had long rehearsals and it's, it's a lot. And he would literally get up and demonstrate most of it. You know, I mean, he, he wasn't a spring chicken, but he didn't sit on that chair and like point at all. And he was such a wonderful actor. And, and really, if you were smart, like you would just imitate him because he knew exactly what he wanted. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really kind of a, a remarkable experience and to get to do the Tony awards and to win. Um, and I met I my mean, husband. You're in a hit. I'm in a hit. I'm like, Oh my God, I, mean, I got a hit. I was like, this is, this is, I'm so proud of her. And I don't know you like after kind of like to have this, I mean, Gypsy was a hit as well, but um, yeah, to but be in the Tony award winning musical. Yeah. It felt really good. And then we closed on Broadway and, you know, went on tour. But before we closed on Broadway, uh, this man, Cleve Asbury, came in and was a replacement for Robert LaFosse. And I remember thinking, oh, he's cute, but I can't date him. He has red hair. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> because I always so you married like, him instead. <laughs> I married him instead. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. What do so you remember about that Tony's? I watched the performance again last night and it was like a 14 minute performance, but then you guys did all of that West Side Story and it was 90 people on stage doing West Side Story. It's mind boggling. What do you remember from and, that night? Well, you know, before that we filmed those, those Segments. other parts in the theater, uh, in our theater. And, you know, I mean, who else but Jerry Robbins would have that kind of clout? Well, this, I want to do this. And then I'm going to do the whole West Side Story. You know, I mean, it was a long sequence for the Tony Awards. Yeah. And what are they going to say? No. Um, so, I mean, it was just incredible. And and the energy that we all felt, because we knew we had something special. And it really was like, it was Broadway's baby that year. You know, and there wasn't a lot of competition, I think, that year either for for best original musical or, or, you know, our featured players. And uh, I think we were all really excited and we, and we had the feeling we were going to get it. And, you know, of course to see Angela for me personally was wonderful. And I'm James Earl Jones was there and it was just, you know, it, you're like a kid in a candy store. And especially the day of the, you know, the day of the Tony awards, you all go to the theater um to do like camera angles and stuff. So it really is like a big party because, you know, when you're on Broadway, yes, you see everybody, but you don't see everybody a lot because you've all got the same schedule, you know, mm -hmm. and you don't really go want to go into the city and hang out on your day off. So um, at least I didn't. Um, so it was fun. It was great. It was great. So you do that but tour you as well 
after following the yes. Broadway? Yeah. Yes. My, my husband and I went on, or my, my soon to be husband went on tour. Uh, with Redhead the show and all. And <laughs> yes. Redhead and all. And um, we stayed with it. I think it was, I want to say maybe like a six month tour. And then we went to Japan for three months and in between the tour and the Japan run, we got married in California because we were like 12 weeks in California. So um, we got married at a place called the end of the seventh ray in Topanga Canyon. And then the show had a week off because they had to fly the sets to Japan. So we went to Hawaii for our uh, honeymoon and we met up with a company in Japan and for three months we were there and it was great. And then we had more of a tour after that. So probably it was about a year in total that we, that we toured with the show. And you yeah. seem to work nonstop. I mean, you did that Avita tour again. I watched you play Belle and Beauty and the Beast in the LA company last night on YouTube. You're so good. I'm like, this is Belle. Like you kill it. Oh, it's I love so, you. Have you and watched that? I, yes, I, I have watched it. Um, and my daughter is in my tummy for that. Oh my God. I'm Wild. almost three months. I'm almost three months pregnant and nobody knew. Um, yes. Uh, that was incredible, you know, but I, you know, thank you for saying that I worked nonstop, but not really. I mean, I was just lucky enough that when I worked, I saved money. Like I didn't have to do anything else. So after Jerome Robbins Broadway, we moved to California because we thought, well, you know, let's, let's try TV. And that was terrible. Um, <laughs> I've often said I'm the prettiest person in New Jersey, but the ugliest person in California. <laughs> I don't believe it, but it's very funny. I'm laughing. I'm laughing. All right. We have to talk about Chicago because, uh, okay. We gotta get into it. So you tell me it. how Chicago entered your world. All right. Almost did an audition for Chicago because, you know, for the for after I had Jacqueline, um, which was in 1996. And then uh, I had her during the run of Beauty and the Beast, got pregnant during the run. And because I again I didn't have a dancer slot, I was the uh, dust pail and broom. So I got right. to stay there. I had to give up the bell cover because Belle was getting really busty. Belle can't um, be pregnant. I, no, Belle can't be pregnant. Belle, but wait, can I tell you the, the best story? So no, I am on for Belle for almost three weeks because Susan Egan, who was playing Belle, had to go off and do something. And for like towards the end of the three weeks, like I said, I was getting bustier. And I remember Burke Moses and his wife, who, Burke Moses, who was playing Gaston, his wife. Very, just very had handsome man. Oh, yes. Not, not, not bad for men at all. And uh, he called me into my in, into his dressing room, like towards the end of the three weeks. And he said, Miss Asbury, are you with child? And I was like, you can't tell anybody. You can't tell anybody. So people were starting to talk. So at my very last curtain call for Belle, you know, she comes out in the big yellow dress. And uh, my dresser had pinned a sign on the back of my dress that only the cast could see that said, yes, dot, dot, dot. I'm pregnant. So as I'm bow, as I'm curtsying, you know, everybody is clapping and pointing. And Tom Bosley, rest his soul, who was playing my dad, Belle's dad, wanted me to turn around to the audience. And I kept I said to him, No, Belle can't be knocked up. I can't turn. <laughs> oh my God, that is a great, great story. Oh, I loved it oh. so much. All right, so let's talk about okay. Chicago. Okay. okay. Uh, after beauty closed, uh, about six months later, I get a call to do Nikki in sweet charity. And I, I said, you know, it's God's cruel joke that after you have a baby, you're going to dance again for a living. So then I had a dear friend of mine, Scott Thompson, who owned a theater company in Austin, Texas, who was doing West Side Story. And he said, please come be my Anita. And I said, I can't do that. I can't dance Anita. And he's like, yes, you can. I'm like, I'm 33 years old. He's like, yes, you can. Trust me. So I had agreed to do that. So before I agreed to do that, I get a call for Chicago. And both my husband and I auditioned for the for the show. And we flew ourselves uh, from California to New York for the callback. And about two weeks later, I get a call saying, uh, no, thank you. We're going we're gonna to move on. And then about two weeks after that, I get a call saying, what is your availability for the tour? And uh, so my agent at the time said, well, she's, she's contracted to do Anita in West Side Story. So you can't have her until like six weeks. So they literally hired somebody else for six weeks for the tour. And then I joined the company. I had never auditioned for the Velma cover. It was because the person that I replaced was a Velma cover. So I guess Walter Bobby, you know, looked at my resume and said, oh, yeah, she can do Velma. Um, so I joined the company and Charlotte D'Amboise is Roxy and Jasmine Guy is Velma. 
And, uh, you know, it was the first time I'd ever replaced anybody. So I'm scared to death because I'd always been an original cast member. You know, I'm in this dance show. I've never considered myself to be sexy. Cute, yes. Sexy, no. Um, I'm like, what am I doing? And, you know, it's the show that I end up staying, you know, for 108 years. Um, it was it was a really incredible experience. And so I got to go on for Jasmine and uh through so many things, you know, I got to take over for Velma on the road. And then I wanted, then my husband was like doing Miss Saigon in California. So, or San Francisco. So I had given my notice for the first national tour, uh, the Roxy company, it's called the Roxy company. The second national tour was the Velma company. So I was given my notice. And then Howie Cherpikoff at the time said, so, you know, the, the Velma company is in California, in LA, and they're going to go to San Francisco and we need a Mona. I was playing June at the time. And he said, I'm going to ask Walter if, you know, we can just switch you. Would you, would you want to do that? And see, so, you know, you always want to work rather than not work. And I'm like, we're going to be in the same city. So sure. I took over for Velma. <laughs> I used to call myself Velmula. Like I would like, you know, suck the blood out of the Velmas and then I'd, I'd get the role. Um, and then they offered me the Broadway company and uh, as June. And, you know, we were sort of tired of living in California. And I said to my husband, let's go back to New York, like where people like us. And so we did. And like two months later, he got Andy, get your gun. And, uh, you know, Jacqueline was three, three and a half years old. And so we were both on Broadway and doing this show. And, and, uh, I remember at first when I started Chicago, I would audition and, and, uh, then it got to a point where I was like, I'm so happy right now. Like, I don't want to be in a rehearsal hall, you know, from 10 to six and leave her even more than I have to, because I felt guilty enough. Um, and then it, I mean, I, I never thought I would stay as long as I did. And yeah, I don't, I don't really know, Mark, I don't have an answer, like why I stayed as long as I, I felt, did. It, it felt right. And you could keep doing it where, how do you keep that sort of thing fresh though? I mean, let's be honest, like, it's we have an audience that is starting to shift and it's maybe people don't speak English or, you know, how do you give a hundred every night when you have been doing it for 18 years, 15 years, you know, tell right. us. Well, again, uh, I, I think back to Angela and and how I watched her every night and how, you know, you have to remember that every person in that theater bought a ticket. They spent really good money. Um, I, I just. You know, it's easier to do the show full out than it is to, to, to market. Honestly, it really is. And yeah. uh, I just never, I never felt any differently. You know, Chicago was such an interesting show where, you know, we had such a revolving door and every new person that came in brought a new different energy, whether it be great or not so great. Um, but the show itself... <laughs> Is, is such strong material. You know, yeah. literally, I remember working so much harder or, or not working harder, but trying harder. Like when I would go on for Velma and the longer I was there, the more I trusted the material and realized, Donna Marie, the less you do as, as far as speaking the lines, you will get the reaction that, that you want and, and that it deserves. And I think that was one of the greatest gifts of the show is, is confidence to trust what you were doing. You know, the show is really brilliant and, you know, we've all had to do things in our career where we're not proud of doing it, but we got to pay the rent. And honestly, I, there was never a time, no matter who they brought in and out of that show where I was not proud of it because I knew the show would stand up on itself. Did you, your Velma is so astounding. I watched you do a bunch of it last night and it's really spectacular. Was there a time where you like, give me this part? Can I just be the regular Velma? Oh, sweetheart. <laughs> I should write a book on that. <laughs> um, I did have a Velma contract on Broadway for three months where they gave me the, the contract for three months, which was great. But yes, I would totally be lying to you if I said, no, I would sit in that chair and everybody that came in to do Velma, I was like, yay, you're great. Good and for I you. Oh yeah. There were times when I was like, really? 
because I'm, you know, because you're sitting there. So you hear the audience react or lack of reaction and you go, I know how to land that, you know, please, please give it to me. And, and, you know, you just sort of get beaten down after a while because people, and then the cast would go, why don't they give you the role? And I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, there's nothing I can do except show up, support, do what I can do to be proud of what I'm putting out on that stage. And then, you know, the times where I got to do it, I ate it up and and loved every single minute of it. I, I can Who's honestly say that. your favorite person to play oh. with? <gasps> okay. Well, all right. I've got a few. So Charlotte okay. D'Amboise, of course, because of course. we have history and she's friggin' brilliant. And uh, we have just, we have that chemistry of like, I know what she's going to do before she even does it. And she'll say the same vice versa. Um, I really loved Brooke Shields. Um, yeah. She was such a triple threat. And and uh, I think people underestimate her. And she was such a hard, hard worker. Um, I actually, I loved Melanie. I love Melanie Griffith. You know, she was not the best singer or the best dancer, but she had so much heart and she was such a generous performer that whenever I went on with her, um, it was tremendous. Brandy, Brandy Norwood was another oh, one that I was like, wow. I saw her. She was fantastic. Wasn't she fantastic? Yes. She brought so much of her own spin to that role. And, and comedy, it like comedy. Oh, She's Funny. Talk about a hard worker. Talk about never wanting to give up. And that's another thing about Melanie Griffith. I remember Melanie, they would pull me out uh, for rehearsal with her while she was in the show because she still, she wanted to put more choreography in like for Hot Honey Rag. She wanted to try more stuff because she got comfortable and she felt more confident. So she was never anybody that would just rest on her laurels. And she, you know, she got a standing ovation every single night. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah. Are you? Can you tell us who was a head scratcher for you, or do you have to keep that? Who made you be like, oh Lord? <laughs> you know, days. listen. At this, at this point, I got nothing to lose. So let me. Um, um, you know, when they brought Wendy Williams in as Mama Morton, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it was. It was. It was a lot. It, <laughs> um, <laughs> I should just probably stop there. Okay, we'll take Wendy Williams. Oh my God, how wild. So what made you decide to be like, okay, closing the chapter? Because you're having a good time. You love it. You're great in the show. You're very needed in the company as you cover so many people brilliantly. Um, and you play your own role incredibly. How do you decide to walk away? I think what happened was... Um, they start, they kept hiring cast members that I literally could be their mother and I wouldn't have to like live in Kentucky. Like it would Got be it. totally acceptable. Um, and I wanted to leave being very proud of what I was still doing. And, you know, the, the, the more time I spent there, the more years, you know, I didn't want to risk an injury that I couldn't come back from. And, uh, I just really, uh, again, I just really, really wanted to be proud. And I wanted to leave on my terms. I didn't want, you know, God forbid the company coming to me and saying, you know what? You got to um, go. You're getting, you're getting a little yeah. long in the tooth to wear fishnets. So why don't you, you know, exit stage left. So, um, but honestly, my leaving was so much more than I thought it was going to be. I, I, I never, I mean, I knew I was a crybaby. I just didn't know I was that much of a crybaby. Um, and the thing was, Mark, is that I didn't realize being my age, you know, I was 57 at the time when I left, um, or actually 56, and I turned 57 October of 2019. So yes, I'm, I'm 58 right now. Um, but I had so many people reach out to me, like on Instagram and Facebook, like 40-year-old dancers or 45-year-old dancers just saying, thank you so much for showing us that, you know, it can be done and it can be done well. Like I, it was bigger than I thought it was. I just really thought it was, <laughs> it was about me and leaving and, you know, I have time to go now. Like, no, you're representing like, you know, a whole group of dancers that have been told probably all of their lives, you know, you're going to be done at 35 and you're going to be injured and you're not going to be able to do what you'd love to do anymore. So I'm just grateful that my body held up and I was able to do it, you know, and to this day, I'm like, I'm not losing my split. I'm going to keep doing my split. I may never use it again, but 
I'm going to be 80 and, you know, my grandkids and go, look what grandma can do. <laughs> you'll do Chicago at the old age home and you'll be any part you want. <laughs> um, so, what, you know, this little girl who started in the business at 11 years old in Gypsy with Angela Lansbury has left such a huge mark on Broadway. Do you ever helicopter that a little bit and look and be like, I've done so well. Like, you should really have a moment where you really feel that, that success. You know, I have just always said, I don't know whether I always look up and say, you know, I've done so well, because you always think of like, oh, I, sh I could have done this or whatever. But I've often said that I could die tomorrow and be very, very proud at what I accomplished. You know, like, it, it I'm, I'm very proud. And I, I'm also very humbled and blessed, because I know there's a lot of talented people out there that don't work. And... Mm -hmm. You know, for whatever reason, I was in the right place at the right time for a lot of my life. And uh, I'm just very, very grateful. What do you want to do now? <laughs> you know what? I, you know, I, okay. I'd love to do a production of Gypsy where I play Rose and Cleve yes. actually is Herbie. Cause that would be amazing because we're really good yeah. together. Um, okay. But other than that, you know what? Um, I've worked a really long time and... Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to when I can tap into my IRA and not get penalized. Okay. Cleve and I have a bunch of bucket list places we want to go. And I, I, I said to him, I want to take at least two trips a year, you know, and luckily by the time we have that money, you know, we'll be able to travel again because COVID will be gone. <laughs> um, so thank you universe for, you know, putting, putting my, my travel plans on pause. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I really do. I want to, you know, my husband has this, uh, his name is uh, is also Cleve, Uncle Cleve, who's like 95 years old. And when he was married to Aunt Jeanette, they would take these trips. And I would say to my husband, that's what I want to do. That's, that's what my retirement, I want our retirement to look like that. I want to go to places like Australia and South Africa and Greece and go back to Italy and, you know, and really just be able to enjoy, you know, when you're working on Broadway and you're doing a show, you are working on Christmas day. You are, you are working on the weekends. You are working on Thanksgiving all of those years. And I just really, really want to reap the rewards of, of working so hard. You well, know, you I'm never going to say no. Do that. <laughs> but you're going to be, you, before you know it, like you'll be the first one back on Broadway. That's what's going to wind up happening. Is that? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so not sure, uh, but I, you know, I'm sending it out for the part of me. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. We have to do obsessing quick fire questions. Here we go. Tell me what you're obsessed with right now. Oh my God. Okay. Somebody feed Phil on Netflix. Have you watched this? I haven't I'm writing it down. Mark, somebody okay. feed Phil. Okay. Somebody it's his, his name is Phil Rosenthal. I believe he was the creator and or producer of Everybody Loves Raymond. And he takes these trips to these places. It could be Chicago. It could be Korea. And he just goes around and goes to all of these amazing restaurants. And, and like, Cleve and I want to do the Phil Rosenthal tour. Like, we want to go to these places and go to all. But the thing is, he is so infectious and wonderful. Like, you're just charmed by his personality. Like he will eat something and like his eyes will get just big as saucers. And you're just like, oh, I want to hang out with this guy. So that's what we've been watching. We watch it every yes, every night before bedtime, it's like, it's our version of Queer Eye. Like we used to watch Queer Eye because it made us feel good and then we'd go to bed. So now we watch Somebody Feed Phil. We're hungry, but Got we it. still go to bed and feel good. Yeah. That's how I feel when I watch the British Bake Off. My obsession this week is oh. the flight attendant on HBO. It's super campy and really fun. And it's like a murder mystery. And uh, I, I'm into it. So flight attendant I'm on HBO. Start that. Wait, it's, I have a question really for you. Have you watched The Undoing? Of course. Oh, so good. If you can go back in time and do one performance of anything from your career, what would it be? Oh, it would probably be uh, Ava Perón in Evita. Would you let your daughter audition for a Broadway show? If she wanted to. Okay. It's not her passion, though. And she has Got a it. voice. The little, I'm so mad at her because, you know, she has no training and she has a voice. Of course. Um, what do you want on your bagel? <laughs> oh, um, cream cheese and everything but the bagel sprinkle stuff. Got it. Do you, <laughs> did you take anything from Chicago? My shoes. 
I took my shoes and then the, the cast gave me a signed derby and uh, a cane. Who replaced you? Her name is Pilar Milholland. What'd you tell her? Just to enjoy it all. Yeah. Enjoy uh, it all. Do you have a pre-show ritual? Yes. I used to suck on a Ricola and then go down to stage left in the alleyway and do uh, a split on my right side and stretch. And then I would plank with Susan Goulet, who was our house electrician. Okay, I love it. <laughs> um, have you ever called out mid-show? Um, I think I may have. I went on as Velma mid-show a lot of times, but I think I may have had to like exit during a show, yeah. Got it. Uh, go-to album for car trip. Oh, this is going to sound so stupid, but Hamilton. No, it's fine. Um, that's a okay. lot of people. All right. One show you'll never get over not booking. Oh, um, Les Mis for Ebony. But I turned down the call back because I was scheduled to do Smile. All right. So, yeah. I was, I was like, no, I don't want to do your show. I'm going to just smile. And then they never called me back ever again, like in their long run. <laughs> what Mary Murderess should Patti Lapone play? All of them. Great. She could do yours. <laughs> um, okay. If you can have dinner with one person, who would it be? Oh, Oprah Winfrey. And I know you can do this. A lot of my guests can't. Can you name two Real Housewives? Because you've had many of them in your show. Oh, well, we've had Candy Burris. And then we had uh, Nene Leakes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I bet Candy was good, right? She was terrific. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Nene was a, was a hoot. She was she was very, very fun, too. Okay. And she, yeah, she tried, right. you know. She tried. That's what Broadway is. Um, one show, uh, one show from your career you would not like to revisit. Oh, there isn't any. Great, love yeah. it. Tell us one I thing about Jodi Benson. She's lovely and sweet, and uh, yeah, she's lovely and sweet, and she's the Little Mermaid. And she's the Little Mermaid. She did okay. Um, who she makes did, you starstruck? Everybody. Oh my God. Literally. Um, they used to call me the Eagle Eye in Chicago because, you know, you sit a long time in those chairs and I would be able, I was usually the first one to spot if there was a celebrity in the audience. And I swear to God, like nine times out of 10, I was right. So <laughs> they would call me Eagle Eye, but literally every, I mean, you know, I remember going into like a Pret-a-Manger and James Corden was there and he was just about to host the Tony Awards. And I just went up to him and I was like, oh, I just love you so much. And he was like, oh, and he took my phone and, you know, we took selfies. And it, I mean, I just, I will follow people around on the street. I'm that person. And I do this for a living. But I still, I'm, I'm incredibly sorry for us. Um, yeah. We have one last question. Since Christmas is right around the corner, what is your favorite family tradition? Um, opening stockings on Christmas Eve. I love it. Donna Marie, tell, we like to do that. tell the people where they can follow you to see what you're up to and all that fun stuff. Oh, you're sweet. I mean, I, I wish I'm better at social media, but, but I am on Instagram. It's it's Donna Marie 1030 because that's my birthday, October 30th. So uh, I will try and be better and, and post things. But Especially when you know, you're I'm traveling the world, we're going to want to see you. We're going to want to see your world travels in the next few years. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, you can look forward to that because that, that is going to happen. That is going to happen. Don Marie Asbury, you are a dream. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I'm such a huge fan of you and uh, your story is really incredible. So everyone out there, keep dancing, keep doing your thing. And uh, maybe one day you will beat Donna Marie's Guinness Book of World Record. <laughs> I doubt it, but I think- No, more power to them. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, and everyone at home, make sure you're following us on Instagram at the little me podcast and, uh, have a very merry and safe Christmas and we will be back soon. Thank you, Donna Marie. Thank you for having me. Bye. Happy holidays. Bye. Thank you listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway podcast network and edited by Derek Gunther. 
For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash little me. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.